This is Raynor's podcast, The Creative Mindset. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Creative Mindset, a podcast about what the future holds at the intersection of creativity and technology. I am Raynor Moto, the founding partner of Ionco, a global innovation firm based in New York and Tokyo. How can a creative professional have a meaningful impact on business? This is another one of my questions that I explore and interrogate. As a designer working business leaders in different sectors and countries, this is an ongoing topic that I have to address over and over. In addition to this, I see a lot of my creative colleagues struggle as the world around us keeps changing. With the advancement of technology, the creative industries have become de industrialized, meaning those creative roles done by humans gradually get replaced by machines and algorithms. The recent rise of AI doesn't help that current. So, one way for a creative professional to stay relevant is to become fluent in the language of business. Today's guest, David Lee, the chief creative officer of Squarespace, a New York based technology company that helps millions of customers around the world create websites with ease and elegance. He's one of the few designers that have been able to use their background as a designer and use it to his advantage to function as a leader in one of the most successful technology companies in the US. In this episode, he shares his journey on becoming the successful executive that he is in the context of his business and working very closely with the CEO of Squarespace. He also shares his thoughts on why creativity is the only job left, whether you are creative or not. He shares his past, including specifically how he and I met more than 15 years ago. I'm recording this episode right after Cannes Lions Festival Creativity. That was actually where he and I met back in 2005. We had a few drinks. Eventually, I convinced David to join the company that I was working for at the time in San Francisco. He will share the specifics of that story as well. So, let's get started. And,、uh, you know, you and I come from a similar background. In fact, you know, we worked together、uh, for a little bit a long time ago, over, say, 15 years ago, if I, if I remember correctly. And I'm dating ourselves very quickly. And you know, you've had a very successful career in the creative industry, in the advertising industry, and you jumped ship. You're one of the first early, early ones to jump ship from the advertising marketing industry to the, the tech industry. But having given a little bit about, about your background, you know, at least from what I know of you, but if you could describe your role and what you do at Squarespace,、uh, that would be, be great. Let's get started with that. Sure,、um, I'll try my best because、um, it, it, it covers quite a broad kind of cross section, I would say. The, look, ultimately, I think the, the responsibility that I have and our, and our team and our department has at Squarespace is to be the brand guardians for the company, right? And what I mean by that is we want to make sure that in every product touchpoint where people use our product every single day to every media touchpoint where people might encounter our brand. That there's creative and design excellence horizontally across everything. So,、uh, in some ways, I like to consider、um, our team as like the brand guardians for to make sure that everything that goes out is hopefully delightful, hopefully usable, and ultimately,、um, you know, if we're going to put out 
you know, um, some marketing and communications out into the world. We want it to be a reflection of who the company is and our brand, and we, we care about that deeply. So a lot of it is being, uh, being the brand police at the same time, hmm. I would say. And when you say brand guardians, and I assume you mean in both in terms of branding and marketing, but also the way the product is designed and how the product is conceived, that uh, is part of the brand, correct? The brand is ultimately a culmination of all these micro uh, elements that a, that a company kind of puts out into the world, right? So it's how the company behaves. It's you know what your office looks like in your headquarters to how the product feels and moves uh, in the actual kind of editor of our core product to how we show up, you know, at something at like a Super Bowl campaign, but at, even at the same time, how we show up when we put out an email news blast to our customers. And I think ultimately the brand is really just a culmination of all those different touch points. Um, and I think whilst my team used to oversee all of the product design of Squarespace, you know, we have a chief product officer now and a lot of the the user experience uh, now falls under um, his jurisdiction, but our team is still kind of sits at that intersection where we want to make sure that we're creating the best starting points um, for our designs, for our customers to make sure that they're starting on the best foot forward. Um, and all the most amazing stuff that we've done is a little bit of what I call Silicon Valley, a little bit of Madison Avenue and a little bit of um, Hollywood. Right. So, and I think the best work that I've seen is always kind of sits right at the middle of that Venn diagram. And that's the stuff that I'm interested in. And um, I also think it's the right at the intersection where, where your brand's actually created. Yeah. I want to come back to the point that you just made about the intersection of Silicon Valley, Hollywood, and Madison Avenue. But before getting into that, mm -hmm. the role that you play as the chief creative officer at Squarespace and various creative roles that you had prior to Squarespace, I mean, that was 10 years ago. But starting, you know, your background is, is design, mm -hmm. like, like my background, you, you know, you started a designer, but what was sort of the, what was the, the journey and the tra trajectory of you growing up as a designer professionally? And was there a key turning point for you to become a chief creative officer? And, you know, what, what did it take for you to be so close to the, to the, the CEO, the business side of, of a given business? I think in order for me to answer that, I have to kind of rewind all the way back to how I even started um, in this business. I think it actually started like, look, I'm, I'm from um, Quebec in Canada. So I'm like a French Canadian, uh, Korean. And, um, you know, for, for what it's worth, I always wanted to be an artist. Um, I kind of grew up in the 90s in the, in the skate skater scene, you know, looking at Thrasher magazine and looking at the artwork, like on the, on, on the actual decks and stuff like that. I got enveloped in like the whole street culture and the fashion and the, you know, the, the, the marketing around things. And I think that for the first time, I realized it's what the power of a brand was, even before I even knew what a brand was, right? And I think... That is what catapulted me into design school, right? I wanted to use my creative sensibilities and my infatuation with like art and design, but I wanted to make sure I had a job <laughs> at the end of the day. So um, graphic design seemed to be this perfect balance where you could get some creative expression and visual expression out of it. But hopefully I could be able to move out of my mom and dad's basement one day and actually be able to uh, uh, have a career in something where 
um, I could actually fend for myself. So that's ultimately how I ended up, um, you know, applying and going into design school. So I ended up, you know, for, for what it's worth, I could have gotten a great education in, in Canada, but, um, I don't know. The grass is always greener on the other side. And, and for me, that border south of the border seemed to be like the, this promised land where, where, where lots of like really interesting things were happening. So I applied to these different schools and uh, ended up in the smallest state in the United States in this one of the, a very charming town of uh, Providence, Rhode Island, and ended up going to a school um, called the Rhode Island School of Design or, or RISD as a, as a, as the shorthand version of that, um, which ironically, 23, 23 years later, I'm now on the board of trustees at my alma mater. So that's a, that's a very full circle kind of moment back to, to kind of where it all began. But um, I think, you know, it was during my time at, at RISD where, you know, I assumed there'd be like some technical things that you're learning. There'd be some theoretical things, but it turns out, the actual program and the degree, um, there was no technical courses, what have you. It was really what I think with the what I appreciated at RISD, which I only just realized decades later, what was the value in it is that they teach you how to think, right? And they teach you how to like critically think about uh, a problem and try and find like a visual solution uh, to that. And I didn't really understand it at that time, but. Ultimately, whether you're doing a piece of graphic design, um, an ad, or something in a digital space, really, at the end of it, it there's still a story that you're trying to tell in almost all of those different um, uh, examples that, that I've actually kind of uh, just, just spoke about. So it was only when I graduated from RISD, and this was in 2000, where I started my career with like the advent of the internet and the web being like this blank canvas and really creative medium. And I don't know, Ray, you must know this, but like back in the day, like it was like the wild, wild west. People were doing like really amazing creative things with the web because it was this malleable space and no one really knew where it was going to go. So I found that interesting. And I kind of just threw myself uh, at that right out of school and um, ended up going to Hong Kong <laughs> right after graduating and almost took a sabbatical out of uh before my career even started and um, ended up back in Montreal just to say hi to my, um, my parents and my family. And someone said I should apply to this, to this agency, which was a very progressive agency in the sense that in, in 2001, there were not a lot of agencies that were doing like a lot of uh, digital interactive work and like big dot-com builds and things like that. But we're also um, had such a progressive uh, design culture and, and identity, what have you. Obviously, did advertising, but also did architecture, and and did like interior design and and all these different things. Um, and the reason why I mentioned this, I think that place actually had a really good impact on on my career because you got to see horizontally across all these disciplines that are usually quite siloed off. And for me, it was like going to school and getting, except you're getting paid at this time, right? And um, it was a great first step for me because you got to just touch a few things here and there. And I think when you're in your 20s, people, you might think you know who you are. You really don't, mm -hmm. right? You, I mean, you might think you even know yourself in your 30s, I would argue, 
you probably don't, right? Or even 40s. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? You and I will probably be saying this when we're 75 years old, right? That we still don't know each other, but... Yes. Uh, or ourselves. Yes. But I would argue that in, in the uh, earlier parts of my career, that variety, that horizontal breadth was actually really helpful. And um, I don't know if this is uh, interesting to your audience, but that's actually where I met you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right. Uh, I went to a talk where you were giving a lecture um, when you were working at, at, at RGA. And I remember being fascinated. 2004. Oh, wow. Good memory. Yeah. Good memory. I would, would never have been able to point out mm. that that year. But I remember being kind of like eyes wide open, kind of going, wow, this is someone who's working on brands like Nike, doing really amazing things with the World Wide Web and, and, and uh, really kind of pushing the web forward. And for me, that was kind of like at that moment in my career, that was one of the most interesting um, kind of like discipline that I was really kind of like I wanted to go deep deep into. So when I saw your talk, I remember very clearly, I went up to you afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I think I gave you my card. And I said, Hey, you don't know who I am. But great talk. If you ever are looking for an art director or a designer, I would love to mm -hmm. uh, you consider me and I'd love to show you some some of my work and stuff like that. So that's right for the audience out there. That's actually how I met uh, Mr. Mr. Ray Inamoto. That's right. Um, and then and then lo and behold, I think how long was it after that that we kind of connected? For some reason, you I can't remember if it was you reaching out to me after that or I reaching out to you, but I had left uh, that agency, RGA. Uh, and even though you were interested in RGA, I had moved on to AKQA. And then a few months later, we happened to be in the same town at the same time, the famous town of Cannes, France. Yeah. And we... <laughs> We had a drink or two, and I must have uh, gotten you drunk. And then that's how I convinced you to move to San Francisco to join me at AKQA. <laughs> so I do remember it. I don't remember it exactly like that, but I'll, I'll take your word for it. It was, uh, it, it was a long time ago. But I, I do, however, remember, I think I reached out to you. Yeah. And I think you were still there, but you basically said that you were about to leave to this other company and moving to San Francisco. Yeah. And um, I had this fork in the road because I had two opportunities to mm. go with your previous right. agency and or to go with your new one. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I guess you did convince me at uh, the infamous Cannes uh, <laughs> that uh, I should take the leap of faith uh, with you and kind of follow you to, to San Francisco. But um, right, right. So let's so let's 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 jump into the, what I would call like the second chapter of my professional career, which is like with, with you, right? So I think um, I wanted to really go deep into um, interactive and build like digital experiences. That was the thing, you know, after my first kind of like employment that uh, I really thought, even though I was vastly interested in things horizontally, that, that was the thing I wanted to like sink my teeth into. So I followed you and this was the moment where we were doing like wild things. We were doing like dot coms for Nike. Yeah. We were launching the the interface of Xbox 360 at the time. I remember we mm -hmm. were doing all these microsites for first, like for like for all the games for the Xbox, and uh, we we're like doing things with yes, you know, like Kobe and LeBron James, and it was a very exciting time, right? And as someone who mm -hmm. you know was working on very provincial and Canadian 
kind of brands, um, uh, this was like, this was very exciting to me. And I think like in the, in the couple of years that we worked together, hmm. this was probably the time where I really kind of like went deep into, you know, um, digital and interactive and not, not just on the, the marketing side of things, but I think we got to work on some things that actually were, you mm. know, affecting product like per se and built and working on plat platforms. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, not just like campaigns, I would say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so I find, I, I found that really exciting. Um, I think also just being close to Silicon Valley. Right. And this was also like, there was still the residue of the first dot-com bubble popping <laughs> at that time, it, it, even though this was like years and years later. Um, I think that was, I mean, this is the closest I got to actually like Silicon Valley, right? And in, in, in terms of not only like the types of work that type of work that we were doing, but just in terms of proximity kind of over there. But um, so I found that really, um, really valuable at that juncture in my career. Um, I, um, I consider you a mentor during that time. Uh, I still consider you a mentor right now. And, uh, you know, now we're, now we're actually good friends. So, you know, that goes, you know, for something that was, it was more than 15 years ago, that must've been like 17, nine, it might even be longer, but, uh, I don't know there's something with me who's like, I, I'm, I'm like a sponge. I like absorbing as many different experiences, uh, in life because I, I feel like if the more inputs you have, the better output you'll have. Right. And look at that time, um, I had a partner um, and a girlfriend who wanted to move back to 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 London, um, England. And although I w I would say I wouldn't I wasn't ready to to leave San Francisco, it ended up being just uh, something that, you know, I I did speed dating for for like forty eight hours at different agencies in London, and um, that was the reason why I ended up in in London is that I decided to. Um, hop over to the pond, go to a different continent, um, uh, you know, different country, different city, and try something a little bit different, I would say. So I ended up going to um, arguably pound for pound, one of the best kind of more like traditional creative agency, advertising agencies in the world in, in, in Wyden Kennedy. And even though I was there to kind of like help them build kind of more of like an interactive digital practice, uh, because at that time they did not really um, have anyone there, so I got brought on as a as a creative director to to try and help build some sort of like offering, I would say. But during my you know almost three years there, I it was I got surrounded by so many great storytellers, right? Some of the best storytellers that I've um, that I've had the privilege to 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 work with, and ended up um, you know working on bits and bobs like other things outside of uh, digital campaigns and, and things like that. And I think, um, I think that's where I really learned the art of storytelling, uh, I would say, and the appreciation of, of, of storytelling uh, in that more linear kind of like format, right? And I got infatuated by that because it wasn't something that I was necessarily great at or I had a lot of experience in. I had dabbled, you know, in Montreal uh, some of the work, arguably, at, um, when we worked together, uh, was in that storytelling through that storytelling lens. But I think it was really when I got to London where um, I really tr had a, an appreciation for that, right? And then I would say after three years later, I ended up um, 
getting an opportunity to come to New York, which is where I originally wanted to go to before you pulled me to, to San Francisco, um, where um, this was the opportunity at a much bigger scale. So all of those different agencies were independents um, at that time. And this was the first big holding company experience where I got brought on as a, as a worldwide kind of executive creative director, you know, of like a 12,000 employee network, 250 offices, 10 regional hubs, and it all intersected in Madison Avenue, right? And I think this was probably the the role and the job where um, I learned the most that surprisingly had nothing to do with creativity. It, it almost feels like this, this is where I got my MBA the hard and real way, right? This is where I saw how a 12,000 um, person net, uh, network actually operated, right? This is where um, I had to learn how to be how to pitch with the best of them. This is where I was really on the front lines, pitching to global clients, flying around on the different, you know, the different continents, different cities all around the world for over half the year. And I had to learn how to develop a muscle that I didn't really, really have, right? So I would say that this is, this chapter is where I learned a lot about like the strategic rigor and the importance um, of that and the, how words really matter and how you articulate yourself and how you present yourself to the world is really important where I would argue that a lot of designers don't have that ability, right? To, to, to be able to articulate uh, a lot of the things that they're actually designing um, in the best manner. And I had to like learn with the best of them. And then strangely enough, you know, the, the agency and the holding company um, allowed me to create almost like a skunk works R and D company, because I had this entrepreneurial itch to, actually create some um, some software. And I actually created something almost by accident, which ended up being the real catalyst on how I ended up at Squarespace, right? So this was something where I basically created, you know, one of the insights that I learned is that for, for a network that big, every one of their websites were completely different. Right. There was no there was no consistency. Right. They couldn't even get the right Pantone color right of the actual logo. Like that's how when you get to be that large, it's really hard to um, keep the quality control, like I would say. Right. And um, instead of creating a global flagship website for for the network, I ended up pitching this idea of like, let's create this really rudimentary content management system and create a website where anyone else in the network could be able to use as well if they wanted to, uh, instead of just doing like a one-off. And ultimately, that's what we did. And uh, overnight, um, I think over two-thirds of the entire network decided to use this, which was more than I expected, number one. And then the transition after that was we then realized that a lot of how agencies present work out to the world, it's almost like... Um, it's like a PowerPoint, right? It's like they, they, they like presenting things in a linear order. So we actually decided to um, almost pivot um, the actual product that we made to more of a storytelling platform rather than a website maker, right? To then be able to bring in um, different real-time data things um, 
into this into this storytelling engine that we've created to to kind of create rich multimedia real-time presentations that actually had a heartbeat to it, right? So, because you're bringing in things from Twitter, you're bringing in things from X, Y, and Z. And that's when it really took off. And I think we had over 100,000 users. We actually then decided, we're going to launch this out to the general public and see if people even use that. And surprisingly, it did. And it ended up winning one of the best educational products of the year at, at South by in like 2012. And the reason why I'm telling you this story is that that's where I got the real entrepreneurial itch was at that juncture. Like that moment right there was when um, not only did I get the the real entrepreneurial itch, but I started to have this feeling of wanting to find a little bit more purpose in the work that I was doing. And what I mean by that is that I wouldn't have changed anything of my previous jobs um, or in the early parts of my career, because I think agencies are a great way to learn and to figure out what what is your real passion, because you get to work on such a varied uh, amount of projects. You get to live vicariously through um, different clients, their problems and like what have you. And you get to be um, like a firefighter and and put out fires and come up with, you know, it's exciting. But one one day you wake up, and you realize that, you know, without pinpointing any any one client, you realize that the bulk of the clients that you're working on, you don't really care too much about, to be completely fair. Let's let's just leave it at, at that. And you know this just as much as I do. Um, you spend so much time at work, right? And some would argue you spend more time at at work or thinking about work than you do even with your family, right? And I'm not saying that's a that's a good thing, but it, at least at least in maybe our generation, that that's what it just ended up being. And I started to have this epiphany of like, well, if I'm gonna do this for the next 10 years, I better really care <laughs> about what the brand or the client or the thing that I'm gonna do. So I think that combined with my entrepreneurial endeavor and an itch was the reason that ultimately got me to to Squarespace. Mm -hmm. You know, creativity is such a broad, vague word that is not well-defined depending on who you ask. So how would you define creativity and what do you mean by creativity is the only job left? So the reason why I believe creativity is the only job left is for this reason and for this reason only. In 2023, this is my firm belief. Like logic is actually really easy to automate, especially when everyone has access to the world's knowledge base right now, right? And things like data analysis, research are actually much better done by machines. They're going to be better at it. They're going to be quicker at it and what have you. Hmm. However, imagination that's a really hard thing to replicate, right? And I think creativity, emotional intelligence, right? These are things that are innate in in humans, right? And when I say creative and creativity, I don't just specifically mean people who have been labeled as creatives um, because of the industry and the job that we actually have, because I actually believe humans in by nature are creative beings, 
right? People are coming up with ideas all the time, right? The problem is that most people don't know what to do with that idea in their head and to actually make that into something tangible and real. But with all the slew of tools that are coming out right now that are really easy to rapid prototype out or to quickly validate an idea, um, I think what we're going to see is that a lot more people are going, going to have to move upstream because a lot of the repetitive jobs, right, and a lot of the production-based jobs, right, uh, I wouldn't say will be completely automated away, but they're going to have to evolve from from where they are right now because when a machine can code better than it can code, then humans can code. When it can do production design better than certain production designers and what have you, when it can write better than a lot of writers can, right? We have to kind of like move upstream. But what I think is going to be the future of where, you know, because I believe trends will always still be dictated by humans, right? Is that that grammatically incorrect way of saying something, which is actually quite charming, there's going to be a huge value add to that, right? Or the little imperfection on something or even like the mistake, right? Because machines are really good at um, uh, analyzing patterns. Humans are much better at breaking the pattern and finding like the break like in the pattern. Mm. But I believe mm. that there's going to be a huge impetus put and a huge val value put on things that have some human in um, intervention. And you're clearly going to see um, what is machine made and machine thought versus what is human made. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I say this is that it's almost like um, human craft is actually the new luxury again, mm -hmm. right? The luxury brands have, have always been that way, right? Everything is like handmade. You want to make sure that because there's a story attached to it, right? Of that, you know, that place in Italy that's like, you know, hand stamping something and hand sewing and like there's a, there's a story kind of like attached to that, right? And there's little imperfections. It's not perfect, mm -hmm. right? So things that are not perfect, are they're going to be a huge value add towards, right? So I actually feel what's old is going to be new again. Mm. And um, ironically, people who are using their hands, right, who are actually making things, right, that aren't perfect, that have that little stamp of human intervention, those are going to be the most valuable things mm. in the future, right? Because everyone, everyone everything is going to start looking the same, mm. Right. I would also argue that just because Midjourney mid can create an image that looks great or ChatGPT can write something um, that's like actually quite intellectual or very grammatically correct, you still need references, right? You need, to, you need to have references of like, what are you actually putting into a prompt, right? If you don't have the references, <laughs> you're not, you're not going to output anything interesting from any of these pieces of software because that's really what it is. Right. You have to understand I'm trying to reference this photographer from the past. Right. Or you want to reference this writer from the past over here. If you don't actually understand that. Right. And you don't have those references. There's nothing you're going to be able to put in there. That's going to be anything interesting on the way out, which is why, again, you need better inputs to have better outputs. Right. So I would argue humans need to go upstream and that every job that we do in, in every job or every discipline are going to be creative jobs. Hmm. So again, just to be clear, not just our business in, in every job, hmm. right? You don't have to be a creative to be a creative. Yeah. 
humans are creative in nature. You just got to unlock that muscle at this point. And we have humanity has to move upstream, not downstream. Because I think the downstream stuff is where there's going to be a lot of automation kind of like happening right now. Mm. Right. So mm. this is this is what I tell tell everyone, you know, is that I really do believe creativity is the only job left, but you don't have to be a creative to be creative. Right. Right. So, but you have to live life. You have to experience things. You have to, because it's really, it's still about ideas and it's still, you have to live a very rich life to be able to pull in the right inputs to have a better output. Mm -hmm. I don't think creativity is design. I don't think creativity is copywriting or, or, or the, so let's just make that clear. I, I do not think that is creativity. I think creativity is about coming up with unique ideas to solve a problem. And what I would say is that in every industry, in every sector, in every category, in every job, in every discipline or department, that is the most valuable thing that humans can bring in a world where there's going to be a lot of jobs automated away um, and there will be uh, lots of machine learning and things that will be able to do things much quicker and better than humans. Um, I would argue we, everyone has to go kind of like upstream and it has nothing to do with design. It has nothing to do with uh, art direction or uh, copywriting or, or, or any of that, right? Because I would argue this, I, I consider this uh, the next golden age of humanity, I don't believe anyone wants to um, work at McDonald's. I believe that um, that's a choice uh, for certain people because there's a lot of career paths that were not accessible to them uh, for, for which other reason. But I would argue like today with all these large language models and all these tools available, just learn them because I, I, don't, th I don't think you have to be a certain age to learn these things. I don't think you have to be just put yourself out there and learn. You can have an education on YouTube today. If you're a creatively curious person, I don't believe you need to go to Harvard to, to get a certain, um, to certain type of education today. Yes. There are values of that education like that, but the world's going to move on without us. There'll be innovations that keep coming on um, no matter what, it's everyone's job to adapt and to use them to your advantage, right? And I think you could be a kid today and come up with an idea and validate it very quickly. And you may never even have to go to school. I don't care where you are in the world, right? And I think that's a beautiful thing. It's, it's a little bit of like the, the equalizer. Um, so the difference is going to be in the creative expression and, and the creative ideas, of what these businesses are, uh, et cetera, what have you. So that's the way that I can answer it in through my lens. I, I realized that the tone of this conversation sounded somewhat serious, but I've known David for close to 20 years now, and one, the listeners can't see this. At the beginning of the recording of this conversation, he was wearing a hoodie, and he asked us whether we were recording the video portion of this conversation, and we said yes. 
and he immediately said, let me change uh, to, to something else. And when he came back, he came back with a, a black t-shirt, which <laughs> in my mind wasn't drastically different from a black uh, hoodie. But uh, I guess that also speaks to his particular focus on how he presents himself. And as a, a creative individual, he talked about being the guardian, the brand guardian of Squarespace. But just the fact that he took 30 seconds to change his hoodie to a t-shirt also spoke to his peculiar focus and taste as an individual. So that, although you can't see this through this podcast, but I thought I would share that little anecdote with, uh, with David. This was part one of my conversation with David Lee, the chief creative officer of Squarespace. I really wanted to ask him how can a creative professional have a meaningful impact on business and he shared a few insights and his advice on not just creatives but individuals trying to stay relevant in this increasingly automated age of AI and machines. The three takeaways, number one, human craft is the new luxury. Number two, designers and creatives move upstream. Key takeaway number three, creativity is the only job left. The first key takeaway, human craft is a new luxury. The language that he used when talking about this is what's old is going to be new. Because any task that can be repeated, he says, and I've heard other people say a similar thing as well, Anything that can be repeated is going to be automated by machines, if not now, eventually. If you're doing a similar task day in, day out, that you need to watch out. In the traditional sense, let's say fashion, there are a lot of luxury companies that are handmade, that are handcrafted, and therefore those products have more value, more premium, and Another thing that he mentioned when describing this was that they have more story to tell behind each handcrafted items. Moving forward, it's not just about physical objects, but digital things as well. By having that or adding that human touch, human craft is going to make that thing more valuable than other things that have been automatically made by machines. So point number one, human craft is a new luxury. Number two, designers and creatives move upstream. My conversation with David, almost more so than anybody else, he was very clear about what he took away from each step of his academic and professional career, whether learning design at RISD, where he says he wasn't necessarily taught technical skills, but he was taught how to think, which by the way, is exactly what another one of my guests John Jay said about his college training. It was about thinking critically about the problem at hand and really understanding what is the problem as opposed to what is the answer. To the job that he had right after college, Sidley, to moving to London, going to a big international network, and then eventually landing his role as the chief creative officer 10 years ago at a tech company. And he was very crisp about the, the learnings that he's had, but 
the take the specific takeaway for creatives and designers who are the makers of things hey you know we need to move upstream in order to have meaningful uh, a meaningful impact on business and being close to the decision makers key takeaway number three creativity is the only job left and this was towards the the end of my conversation in part one and he will talk more about this in the next uh, episode as well but he doesn't necessarily use the word creativity specifically reserved for creatives and designers everybody has the ability and the responsibility uh, to think creatively and moving forward especially because ai is increasingly going to automate things that tax that can be repeated thinking critically and thinking creatively about the situation that you are in about the challenge that you have about the problem that you're trying to solve in order to get ahead and going back to my first point having that human touch to twist and make it into something great and that is the job of creatives and more importantly thinking creatively and and having creativity as part of your arsenal in business the three takeaways number one human craft is the new luxury number two designers and creatives move upstream key takeaway number three creativity is the only job left that was part one of my conversation with David Lee, the chief creative officer of Squarespace and a longtime good friend of mine. In part two of my conversation, he goes into what he calls creativity at the adults table. So stay tuned. I'm Ray Namoto, and this is The Creative Mindset. See you next time.